Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to talk a little about cotton production. Now, if you don't raise cotton, I'll just tell you there are a few of these things we'll discuss with this particular crop that do apply to other crops out there. And we're going to spend a lot of time in our Ag PhD mailbag starting right away here in our show today. Before we get to that, I just want to let you know if you would like to call into the show, if you've got any questions about anything that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, so first of all, let me just apologize to many of the people who have been writing in over the last couple of weeks. We've had a tough time keeping up with all these questions we've been getting in, but we're going to get to hopefully quite a few of them today. First one here is from Alan from Nebraska. He says, we're hoping to get fall anhydrous done yet. Uh, temps this past week had been freezing. Uh, oh, actually, this is from a week ago. So sorry. Anyway, hopefully, uh, Alan, we're not too late here. But anyway, he, he was talking about temps being around 50 in the day, 20 at night. And he says we've been dry like everywhere. Soil moisture uh, was down to eight plus inches. We have uh, an anhydrous bar with discs. I guess my question is, what are your thoughts in applying anhydrous in these conditions? Should a guy go as long as the ground seals back up and you don't see any gas escaping? Or should a guy wait until we get some more moisture? Oh, so maybe he's saying soil, we don't have soil moisture until you get below eight inches deep. Uh, not quite sure on that. But anyway, uh, I would just say, Alan, we have put anhydrous on on our farm in the middle of December before. Doesn't happen on a super regular basis for us as far north as we are. But as long as you don't have a whole lot of frost and as long as the ground will still seal up and you don't see that anhydrous escaping, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape, even in pretty dry conditions. So uh, all we're looking for is just a little bit of soil moisture, enough to seal that ground. And yes, this is a common question that we had this fall, unfortunately, because many areas, just like us, are super dry. Well, best of luck to you on that. All right, next one here is from Chris, who is also from Nebraska. He says, hi, guys, I'm a, I'm a crop consultant, and I have recently switched from Ward Labs to Midwest Labs. Well, I noticed on a grid sample that there are high P2 levels in areas. So for anybody listening here, P2, what he's talking about is a strong Bray phosphorus test. So that's not just what's available today, but what what they believe should come available between today and over the course of the next year. But anyway, he's saying high P2 levels, 100 to 140 parts per million. Here's his question. He says, will it work to add sulfur to bring these levels down? So let's say 30 to 35 pounds of sulfur. Uh, areas do not cover a large part of the field, estimated like 15 to 20 acres. He says, 10 years ago, I used Midwest Labs, and I remember doing this, and it seemed to work. As a consultant, I had gotten some backlash from mentioning this to help correct areas and wanted to get a second opinion. Field was limed in 2017 and 2018. pH levels really not too bad, but will need to be corrected in the next one to three years. Okay, so first of all, I wouldn't call 100 parts per million of P2 exceptionally high. I would call that just about personally what I'm looking for on my farm. So if you're in the 100 to 140 parts per million range on a P2 soil test and you're going for pretty good corn or soybean yields, 
I'd feel great about that and I would have no desire at all to bring that down. But if you want to bring that down, I wouldn't worry about the whole sulfur thing. What I would think about is just not applying phosphorus. So now I, I assume where this question is coming because you did say pH levels are pretty good. But a lot of times what happens is if we see a really high P2 and a low P1, sometimes that can mean that there's a bunch of phosphorus that's tied up. And by putting some sulfur out there to acidify that soil, it hopefully makes some more of that phosphorus that's tied up in the soil available to the crop this year. So that, that can be done if that's the issue that we're talking about here. But otherwise, I mean, I'm not tremendously worried about it that I'm super high or anything like that. I feel pretty good. It's just, yes, if your question is, we want to make our phosphorus that appears to be tied up more available, how can we do that? Sulfur absolutely can help. But you also want to take a look at basically everything else that's going on in your soil. For example, like in our farm, we've had issues where we applied too much zinc or too much copper. Well, too much zinc and too much copper will cause issues with phosphorus uptake and phosphorus availability in the plant. So I I, 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 I don't want to oversimplify this thing by saying, yep, sulfur and you're done. But certainly that, that could help if the situation is right. Okay, uh, recently on Ag PhD TV, we've been talking about contact versus residual herbicides, and I got a couple of comments here. First one's from Zor, who says, uh, residual gets in water. So I assume what this person means is if we have something that has soil residual for herbicide, there's the potential that it could leach down and get into groundwater. Yes, that is certainly possible. Fortunately, a lot of our herbicides bind really well to soil, and we're usually only talking very minute amounts. Even some of the highest use rate products that we have on the farm for herbicides, we're talking maybe a half a gallon to three quarters of a gallon for an entire acre. So you think about that, an acre is roughly the size of a football field, and if you've got half a gallon spread across that whole acre, it does not amount to a whole lot. So I'm not trying to minimize this potential issue here, but this is why we talk so much about just the educational side of herbicides and application and all that. There are some things that do leach, like atrazine, which is why we say, please don't use atrazine on the soil. Use it only foliar and post-emerge. There are a lot of other things that bind real well to soil, and we're perfectly comfortable putting those on the ground. And also keep in mind, the EPA has gone through all these labels and they have limits on when things can be applied and use rates and so on. The other comment from this contact residual thing from Richard, how have advancements in residual herbicides played into the role of decreasing seeding rates in corn and soybeans over recent decades? Is that a factor? No, Richard, I don't think that really is for cutting or increasing corn or soybean seeding rates. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk cotton right after this. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. 
Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts? We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today, we're talking about a crop that we don't cover real often here on the show, in part because we don't raise it. Well, I'll take that back. We raise about uh, 10 square feet of cotton each year at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We've done that in part just because uh, we like to have some unusual things for our area. But in addition to that, it's been a little research for us on on which things move in terms of herbicide and drift and all that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, first on the show today, we've got Barry Evans. He is from down in Texas with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. And he farms down there. Barry, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Brian. Glad to hear y'all grow a little cotton there. I, that shocked me. <laughs> Well, when I say 10 square feet, um, you know, that's probably not going to make a real big dent in the overall cotton market in the United States. But anyway, uh, Barry, we had you on the show today because I'm, I'm kind of curious about this cotton trust protocol. What is that? You bet. The cotton trust protocol, it started in, in 2020, so we've had it going a couple of years now. You know, Brian, as, as farmers, we've got a good story to tell about sustainability. You know, we're doing a good job. Uh, what we're doing for the environment. Farmers are aware of that. It works environmentally and economically, but the people that buy our products don't know that. So the Cotton Trust Protocol is out to tell that story, but what's unique about the protocol is, you know, instead of saying, oh, we do these things, is is what we do is it's quantifiable, it's verifiable. And what's important to the people that buy our cotton is it's not just us saying it, but it's, it's verified by a third party so we go in and we fill out the questionnaire, then that's verified. And so you can say, you know, we, we really are doing these things. And, and it tells a story and it puts some meat, you know, it puts some science so what, uh, what, you know, behind the story that we tell. Sure. So what things specifically are you talking about here? What kind of practices would a farmer have to use? Well, the, the things we're, that, that are really measurable, and, and when you go through the, the questionnaire, and you see that we're using less land to grow the same amount of product. 
um, we have have less erosion, less soil loss for us. It's to, to wind and water both. Um, our our water use is less on on what we're growing. The energy that we're using to grow that crop is less. We have less greenhouse gas emissions on what we're doing, and you know we're using less pesticides, both herbicides and insecticides, and what we have in years past. And and we're measuring that over time to 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 actually show that we are doing these things. You know, I think the, the average consumer thinks you know we're using more of this stuff when actually we're we're using less of it. Okay, so uh, when when you do this and get this message out to the consumers, what's the benefit in the end for the grower? I mean, how, does the grower benefit long term, or it, I mean, do they get a premium or or anything like that? So so how does the grower participate in all this? Well, the 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 people that buy our cotton, you know, is. As society has evolved over the years, people want to know where their products come from, and they want to know that they're sustainably grown and that we're good for the environment. And so we're we're meeting, you know, we're already doing this stuff, but we're trying to meet the consumer's request, and they're trying to have more information. So it's important to take that information to the consumer. And so, you know, as a farmer, we say, oh, well, I'm already doing all this. But we're looking at, at brands and retailers, you know, the people that buy our cotton, you know, the people like, like Levi Strauss or Walmart or Amazon or Gap or whoever. The, like right now, the top 100 global brands are saying they're only going to buy sustainable raw materials, and they're demanding that over the next, you know, five or ten years. You know, people have different, different goals in there. And if we don't do that as U.S. farmers, there's other countries, there's Brazilian farmers that – that are doing this. So if so, if we don't do this at U.S. farmers, we're going to be behind the curve on getting our message out. And so, so as U.S. farmers, we're going to be behind the curve. And I think it's important that we, you know, we have such a good product, and we need to be in front of it and tell the consumer what we have, and we need to be leading that charge. I couldn't agree with you more. Telling the story and and telling the right story out there is really important. So how can U.S. cotton growers get involved in this program with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol? Well, what what the U.S. cotton farmer needs to do is go to to trustuscotton.org, and it has a questionnaire to go through, and, and to go through the questionnaire, um, and it's, 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 it takes a little time. It's not that onerous. Um, also if you use John Deere Op Center, um, it'll pre-populate about 40% of what you need if, if you get all that in, input right. Um, and, and if you have a crop consultant, you know, they can, they're, they're authorized to do that on behalf of the farmer. So the, the farmer basically just, just log, log on to trustuscotton.org and, you know, get started with that. All right, great stuff. Barry Evans with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol and a farmer down in Texas. Barry, thanks for the time today. Appreciate having you on the show. Great to visit with you. You bet. Thanks. All right, next on, we've got Mark. He farms down in Georgia and raises some cotton down there, right, Mark? That's that's what they say, Brian. Good afternoon. <laughs> All right, so tell us just a little bit about your experience with cotton. I, I mean, are you raising more acres now or fewer versus a few years ago? What's that all look like? Uh, Brian, we sort of have a set acreage. Uh, cotton is in our rotation along with peanuts and 
uh, corn. We use it to help with uh, nematodes and other diseases and also pest management. But uh, you see a little fluctuation. Uh, corn seems to be the price driver. Corn goes up. You see a few more corn acres. But uh, I'd like to think that cotton has, has got its place and is pretty consistent in our area. What's the biggest challenge for you raising cotton on your farm? Uh, weather. Weather is probably the most challenging. What, what, do, uh, you, what do you like or what do you hate for weather with cotton? You want dry weather with cotton. Uh, we, we, we've probably got a record crop here in the southeast this year because we have had a dry August and September. That's when our uh, April and May planted cotton begins opening. And dry weather uh, inhibits uh, bull rot and also the tight lock, which enables us to harvest the crop that we make. How about pests? What are what are the most challenging weeds, bugs, and diseases? Well, uh, everyone here in the southeast, and I think we're sharing that with, with some of our northern neighbors, pigweed has been a great challenge. And uh, with the Health Extension Service, uh, we, we have programs now that we're doing a much better job with pigweed and fighting the resistance than we were a few years ago. As far as insects, uh, you know, the old stink bug is, is, is still a, is, a, is around and, and gives us some problems. Uh, now that we ha- we're in the bull weevil eradication program, we've been doing that since uh, the late 80s, and that's been very successful for us. But uh, uh, I would say the stink bug is the one thing sort of lingering pest with us. How about disease? Is there any particular disease that strikes your cotton? Not really. Uh, uh, we have some fusarian problems, uh, other things. You know, Mother Nature is always able to throw a curve at you. But uh, we, we do things now that we did not do in the past. That's spraying some uh, preventive fungicides, which was sort of unheard of 10 years ago, maybe. But uh, overall, uh, Brian, it comes down to what kind of weather we're going to have in, in the fall of the year and if we can keep these hurricanes out of here. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I don't think we'll, we'll be able to keep them out, but uh, we can we can pray for you. That's about as much as we can do. Uh, Mark, I only we're, have... We're, go ahead. Too. Yeah. I said we appreciate those prayers also. <laughs> Mark, I only have about 30 seconds left here. Anything else you want to leave us with cotton production on your farm? Uh, uh, the sustainability part, uh, you know, we all need to get the message out. And the main message that, that always sticks with me is nobody cares more about the land than the farmer. And uh, that's what the consumer needs to realize. Well said. Mark, uh, thanks a lot for being on our show again. Always love talking to you. Good luck down there in Georgia. Thanks. Y'all have a good year, too. Yep. All right, we're talking cotton on our show today. We are going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a little bit as well. But coming up right after this, we'll uh, we'll go back to the phone lines, talk cotton just a little bit more. It's uh, it's certainly an interesting and sometimes challenging crop to raise, but we'll discuss it right after this on Ag PhD Radio. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, 
or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now is the time to head into your local CNB. Find out about the great deals CNB has to offer on new and used John Deere equipment. Stop into your local CNB and visit with their team of experts or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles. The ideal nozzle for dicamba and 2,4-D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Utricia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, talking cotton production on our show. And we're going to go back to the state of Texas. Got Franklin calling in. Hey, Franklin, how are you? Doing good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. So you're a cotton farmer down there, and I, I'm just curious uh, a little bit more about this crop. I'm certainly no cotton expert, so for a layman like myself, g- give me give me some of the basics and what I need to know about cotton. Well, it's uh, it, it's somewhat of a a pretty simple crop for the most part. I mean, it we've kind of found a, a a way to farm it in, in our area. That I mean, in an area with Oh, about 15 inches of rain a year. We've actually hit on a, a fertilizer program and enough water with what few wells we have to actually come out pretty good now. Um, so when you say it's a simple crop, 
compared to the other crops you raise, what makes cotton simple for you? Well, cotton's actually the only thing we do. Um, but as far as simple for us, and it may not be for, for a lot of other guys, but we're, we're not really do, having to do a lot of tissue samples. We, I mean, we do, we do go out and do soil samples and everything every year, but as far as having a tissue sample and like having to worry about putting down fungicide and all the other products, that, like a lot of guys with corn and soybeans do, we don't yep. have a lot of that issue. Sure. I mean, you do have some some uh, nematode pressure in certain areas in Texas, but where we're at, we're actually pretty good. Oh, good. Uh, I also understand you use subsurface drip tape. Have you been doing that for a long time? Yes, sir. Uh, we've had subsurface. I think our oldest system is about, it's either 12 or 15 years old now. I can't remember exactly when we put that in. Now, from what I understand, a lot of those systems are only supposed to last 15 to 20 years, aren't they? Well, it depends on how well you take care of them. I, that <laughs> if you pump a lot of sand through your wells and you get you know, harder water, you can uh, have issues with the drip tape. There is ways of going in there and cleaning it out, but uh, our wells don't pump a lot of sand. Our water's not that hard. So our drip tape, for being as old as it is, is actually in amazing shape. So I assume you like the fact that it's subsurface, so that way you don't create all the humidity up above ground and lead to more diseases, and that kind of goes back to how you said you don't have to put fungicide out there, right? Well, yes and no. It, it works great as long as we have timely rains in the spring. On a year like this year where it was a, an extreme drought, the only cotton we managed to save this year was actually under a pivot because we were putting water from the top down. That subsurface drip tape on a dry year, unless you have water coming down from the top, meeting it, it just doesn't seem to push uphill, and we can't really water our cotton up with. How deep are your uh, drip tape lines? Anywhere from 12 to roughly 15 to 16 inches. Yeah, so that's not real deep. And and no. see, the, <laughs> it's just, it's always interesting talking to people in other regions because where I farm, I mean, we're so much cooler than you are down there that we don't, I think we would be fine probably having that moisture in the ground. But yeah, it's just, it's a whole different deal because I'm, I'm sure where you're at, the, those humidity levels every day get really low, don't they? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that's the, the other part of what I was kind of going into with the simple thing is we don't really run a lot of deep breakers. I mean, with drip tape, we can't, we can't deep rip at all, Yeah. but that cotton's taproot, it's stout enough that it will actually punch down and break through any hard pan that we have. So we really don't have to worry a lot with tillage. Okay. I mean, so we're, if you look at our operation, it's almost what you would kind of, some guys would kind of consider it a minimum till, not necessarily sure. a no till, but a minimum till. Yep, gotcha. And we can conventional because I mean, we are going out there and pulling up bedded rows every spring, and we're doing, you know, we're dealing with crop residue, but it's we're not making 10, 15 passes. We're really only making about three passes a year. Sure. So other than the weather and like this year where you didn't get the rainfall you were hoping for, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to raising cotton on your farm? Uh, heat units, weather, <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> Um, we've, with our area, I mean, we've, we've actually hit on a fertilizer program that works amazingly well. Um, we're, we're using a, it's SoluGrow made by a company called Miller. Okay. We'll put out a couple of rounds of that and tie that in with a couple of rounds of 32% nitrogen. And 
we have since we started doing that we have seen our yield jump up dramatically so provided we can keep the rainfall coming in on in timely manner and, and get enough water every year which generally between that 15 to 16 inches of water along with our wells we've got it made on cotton now you said put on two rounds of this fertilizer you were talking about do you mean putting it through mm-hmm. the drip tape or how how are you applying it yes okay yes we uh all of our irrigate all of our uh, fertilizer is done through fertigation now. We still do have a uh, an old side dress toolbar. Yep. But we prefer not to use that. We actually like putting it out through the through the the, the drip systems and through the pivots. Why do you like it so much that way? Just ease. Easier. It's a lot less uh, a lot less messy. And really and truthfully, I mean, with the pumps we've got, you can set it and dial it in, and you know exactly what it's putting down per acre. Cause sure. We've got everything timed out. You know, we know how many gallons of water are going out per acre, per zone, per hour. And so we can sit there and dial that pump in and know how much fertilizer is going in with that water per acre, per hour, and know exactly what we're putting out. Yep. All right. Interesting stuff. Hey, Franklin, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it, and good luck to you down there. Yep. And and if you guys want to know anything more, uh, I actually do have some social media pages. If you check out Texas Cotton Farmer on TikTok. Oh, okay. Texas Cotton Farmer on TikTok. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Franklin. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a good one. You too. All right. We're going to go back to the state of Georgia now. We got our good friend Glenn down there. Hey, Glenn, how are things for you today? Hey, Brian. I'm doing fine. Yourself? Excellent. So, how'd your cotton crop turn out this year on your farm? We, uh, of course, we're we're still picking. We're not finished yet, but it we we have a better than usual. Uh, crop this year so so what's made it better than usual uh well like you previous call is weather we had we had a drier fall than usual and we we get bow rot about nine out of ten years and this was the one out of ten that would dig <laughs> we got some but not as much sure so what else can you do to prevent that anything well, uh, not much. Uh, just, uh, you know, try and control our water late in the season and put just as little as possible as we can put. Uh, and that's that's pretty much about it. I mean, they just ain't much we can do. Hey, we were talking with Franklin just a minute ago from Texas, and he was describing his fertilizer program that he uses. What do you do for fertility on your cotton? We somewhat similar we're we're nearly all pivots and uh we uh but we we put most of our uh potash and uh out uh well we put our phosphorus out early in the season then we put our potash with a buggy you know during the season and then all the nitrogen we pump through the pivot sure how about like micronutrients? Are there any micronutrients that uh, that are real key for cotton in your area? Um, not one uh, one over the other. I mean, we we put some of some of all of them. We put we put some with the you know with the spray. We put some with the uh, potash you know that was spread out. So we one one thing I, I hear y'all talking about a lot is zinc we have to be real careful with zinc in our area because it's it's toxic to 
peanuts. So we have to be careful not get our uh, zinc levels too high. Yeah, there's uh, there there's always a trick to some of these things, and especially when you're raising a crop like peanuts, it could be a little more sensitive. Uh, we don't have to think about that too much up here, Glenn. Uh, cotton and yeah. peanuts aren't in the rotation yeah. or anything. <laughs> that's, that's right. All right. Well, hey, Glenn, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it, and uh, hope that cotton crop turns out great for you in the end here. Thank you much. You bet. All right, we've been talking about cotton a little bit on the show today. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm, you give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. But right after this, we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can ball? Check out CaseIH.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Commodity Classic! Woo! Come to Commodity Classic. Commodity Classic. Commodity Classic. Come to Commodity Classic. Please join us in Orlando, Florida in 2023. Join us in Orlando for Commodity Classic. The best and most progressive farmers know Orlando is the place to be. March 9th through 11th, 2023. Discover more at CommodityClassic.com.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. Got lots of questions. This next one is from Rod. He he asks, "Do you have a printable copy of the Ag Chemical Component List?" Well, Rod, um, every year, and and really for all our listeners here, every year at our Ag PhD Winter Workshops, we create what we call the chemical component chart. And the reason why we started doing this probably, well, IPHD has been going for over 25 years now. Um, the reason why we've been doing this is because it, some of these products that are called new, they're not actually new. They're just combinations of old stuff. And it's exceptionally helpful when you can see what's in it. So I, I'm not saying anything good or bad here about the product named Resicor. I just happened to think of this off the top of my head because it's got three different things that have all been around for a long time, over 20 years. So Resicor has in it Surpass, that's acetochlor, it'd be the same thing as Harness. It's got Stinger and it's got Starring. And so what we do with this chemical component chart is we just say, okay, here is Resicor at this rate, and here's how much Surpass is in it, how much Stinger is in it, and how much Starring is, or uh, sorry, Python, not not Starring, Python is in it. And anyway, the reason why it's tremendously helpful for me as a farmer and as an agronomist is because, well, I may not know some new name, and I, I, I certainly know Resicor, but I may not know some new name that some company comes out with. If I can see what the components are, that's tremendously helpful. I will also say that most companies will put out, oh, we have these three active ingredients. Well, let's be honest. If you're a farmer, like me, or even an agronomist, you don't remember exactly how many pounds of an active ingredient get applied per acre for every individual product. I I don't know that stuff, but I sure as heck know like Stinger, how much we use, Surpass, how much we use, Python, how much we use. And so then when I can see, oh, that's how much is in this product, sometimes it throws up red flags for me. So for example, there are a few different combinations out there. And again, I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. Uh, that have pursuit. Well, we've had issues with carryover with pursuit. So when I see a product that the, at the normal rate has four ounces of pursuit, knowing that's the full rate of pursuit, I go, whoa, that's too much for me. I got If I'm going to use that product, I can't use that much pursuit. I'm comfortable with two ounces, maybe 2.4 ounces. So then because I know, hey, it's pursuit, I know what the rate is, that just really helps me out in my recommendations and what I'm going to use in my farm. So anyway, uh, I, re- I realize this is a tremendously long answer to an unbelievably simple question. Uh, Rod, we don't have a printable copy of the Ag Chemical Component Chart on our website, but we do have the chart on our website. If you go to agphd.com under the resources tab, just click on resources. And one of the first things will come up, it's called, and I don't know why it's called agricultural chemical component chart, but anyway, um, that's, that's what we've got listed as there. If you attend our winter workshops, we'll have it in, in those books, especially as we get late in our workshop season. And then we would also, I believe we're going to have that for our live stream available for a download at that point, and that would be printable then as well. Um, also, just as a, a little side note here, I went to, I just pulled this up on our agphd.com website so I could tell you exactly where to go to it. 
I noticed at the bottom uh, our contact information, and, and it's info at agphd.com. We also talk often here on the radio show about you can email us radio at agphd.com. They both come to the same place, and, and I would see both of them. But anyway, our phone number is on there as well. It's, it's uh, 529-5413 in the 605 area code. And I'm only bringing this up because <laughs> that was our home phone number when I was a kid growing up. And when we started Ag PhD years ago, we're like, you know, that phone number's still out there. Let's have that for our little town. And I just thought that would be kind of fun to have our old home phone number as the Ag PhD phone number today. So anyway, we don't talk about it because we've got this uh, this toll-free number also. But if you ever want to call on our old hefty home phone number from when we were kids, it'll get you right to the Ag PhD studio. All right. Uh, next question here is from Scott. We answered a question just the other day about, about liquid fertilizer and manure and everything. And he, he sent us back a response saying, um, I still don't fi- can't figure out the moisture and manure question. So let me, let me go through this again real quick. Uh, here was his question. On solid dairy manure reports, it states uh, NPK and moisture. Do I figure my applications with or without the moisture? Um, you always want to figure the applications with the moisture. So I don't have a dry manure sample from this year, uh, but we we put on all kinds of liquid manure. And let me just give you an example here what I'm talking about. So I've, I've got one of our manure samples pulled up from this fall. And right on that sample, it says 95.8% moisture. And then it tells what percent of NPK and all the different micros and stuff are in there. But the key thing that I'm after is how many pounds per thousand gallons of nutrient there is. So for example, nitrogen, it's 19 pounds. First year available nitrogen, it's 14. And so on your manure tests, that's kind of what you want to look for. So let's say it's on a, if we're talking dry, on a per ton basis, I want to know for every applied ton, not dry ton, but every applied ton, so that includes the moisture, how many nutrients do I actually have in there? That's what we're always looking for, Scott. And let us know if you got any more questions on that. Okay, next one. Uh, let's see. This comes from Amar, and he says, I can grow... Uh, Uh, Oh, sorry. Can I grow crops according to my soil pH level? So for example, my soil pH is 5.5. My blueberries like a 5.5 soil pH, but you guys talk about having higher pH levels than that, like in the sixes. So should I make some changes to my soil? Uh, and, and then that would change my base saturation levels too. Um, and, and how does that work with a crop like blueberries? Okay. So first of all, Amar, all we really care about at the end of the day is for you to maximize your production with blueberries. Yes, they can, they can thrive in a 5.5 soil pH. If, however, you have other crops also in a rotation over a period of time, many of those might get hurt from a 5.5 pH. So can you raise that a little bit and get some more calcium out there? Sure. And what I would do, and it's what we we talk about all the time here on the show, try it on a small scale, see if you get response by getting some more calcium, and in this case, lime out there, raising the pH a little bit, and see if that impacts your yield. So we've been testing that ourselves 
on corn and soybeans and wheat and other crops here for a long time, as have many people around the world. And typically, most crops are going to do a little bit better when you get that pH up just a little bit. But I would say this, pH is only a small portion of what we want to look at for overall soil fertility. So I'm super interested, especially with blueberries, in things like potassium and phosphorus. I'm also interested in like even copper, for example. So what can happen if you don't have good copper levels in your blueberry plants is the, uh, the, the seed coat will not stay intact as well if you don't have those good copper levels. So copper is key to seed coat resiliency. So I mean there there just there are a lot more things than pH. But yes, if it was me, I would probably look at trying to raise the pH maybe just a little bit, just try it on a small scale, see if you get response, and then kind of go from there. All right. Um, next one here is from Brandon. He says, we're trying to compare our soil sample grid points to yield data to see how each nutrient compares and ratios to one another. Can you give me some insight on how to create some software to enter this data to create a line graph so we can compare our one acre grids to yield maps or tell us how we can do this like you guys did. All right, so Brandon, we started by just simply taking a spreadsheet and we had all this data from soil tests. And then we painstakingly went to every single grid point and looked at yield. And the way that we did that was manual, and then we typed it in. <laughs> so that's how we started it. I'll tell you more about how we do it now coming up right after this. Stay tuned. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts? We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. 
Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. One of the most impactful things that we have done on our farm over the last four or five years now has been comparing soil tests to yield. And we've, we've gone to one-acre grids on our farm. We farm about 3,500 crop acres now. And we're testing most all our acres every year. Not every single acre, but most all our acres. I'm not suggesting that everybody does what we do, but we do this in part because of research and so we can better answer your questions. But anyway, when you, when you stop and think about it now, I've got five years' worth of data where we have compared yield to soil tests, and I've got each year where he, we have over 2,000 points of data. So now, over five years, I've got like 10, 12,000 points of data. The reason why this is important, the more data we have, the smarter we're going to get on these things, what it's showing us is where do our fertility levels need to be at the end of the season. I'm not saying at the start, but at the end of the season after the crop in order to maximize yield. And certainly there are going to be nutrients that you're not going to learn a whole lot from, like nitrogen, for example. It's fairly leachable. Well, obviously, if you got a wet year, you're going to have less. If you have a dry, you're going to have more uh, nitrogen sitting there at the end of the year. But the immobile nutrients, and for us, I consider potassium one of those as well just because we have really heavy soil not a lot of rainfall our potassium doesn't move whereas like today we were talking cotton with some farmers who have light soil and lots of rainfall well then it's a whole different deal and you got to put potassium on as you go but anyway long story short here this has been tremendously helpful for us we've showed this at a lot of our workshops we've shown it on tv and everything and it's just been so educational so helpful for us and now we know much better where to invest our fertilizer dollars to maximize yield and most importantly maximize profit and just as evidence of that this this past year here in 2022 is the best year our farms ever had so that was fun but anyway back to Brandon's question from right before the break he was wondering how we did that and i just said we painstakingly well actually i shouldn't say we one guy in our office painstakingly we made him do this and it only took one day for each year it took one day to go through over 2000 grid points he had the spreadsheet already with all the soil test information and then all he did is just with our yield map 
and we had all the grid points overlaid on our yield maps, and then he'd just take the little mouse on the computer screen, go to the, the spot where the, the grid point was, and then say, okay, the yield there is whatever, 210 bushel corn, and then he'd type in 210 bushel corn or 60 bushel soybeans or whatever it was, and he'd type that in for that particular data point. Didn't take all that long using the spreadsheet. Then we had all this information, created our graphs, and then we could see, oh, hey, this is, this is where we need to go on this nutrient or this ratio like phosphorus to potassium or phosphorus to uh, zinc or phosphorus to copper, things like that. Today, we have a computer program that does that. So an agronomist we occasionally have on the show here, Rob Fritz is his name. He created this little computer software program. He did it pretty simply. And what he did is he took for every grid point and just looked at that GPS point and took a radius around it. And I don't remember what he did, 10 feet around it or 20 feet around it, something like that. But anyway, um, and, and just looked at the yields all in that area. So I think that's that's a better way and more accurate. We are working on something that hopefully we'll be able to release to the general public maybe even within the next six months or so, where basically anybody then could just import their data in there and then you'd be able to generate all this information. So I guess that that's the best thing that I can tell you right now, Brandon. But if you want to do it by hand, it certainly can be done that way. Or when I say by hand, with the computer as you manually type it in. All right, next one here is from Chris. He says, we farm in western Nebraska. Our land is irrigated or yeah it's all irrigated raising mostly corn and some soybeans and alfalfa we flood irrigate and also have pivot irrigation last several years on the pivot ground i've been using a a one trip strip till machine and on the flood ground we're using uh, an inline ripper and one or two disking diskings then before planting almost all tillage is done in the spring in this area we graze all our ground with cows so there's usually some shallow compaction at a minimum so my question is, what kind of machine should I use behind the inline ripper to smooth things out for planting? Am I eliminating the benefit of the ripper by disking? Do you see much difference between brands on the inline rippers? I like the looks of, uh, of a Case IH 2500, but wondering if it would be much different than what I have now. Thanks for your time. Uh, Chris, there is some difference, and what you're looking at is mainly the angle of the shank, the uh, the, the type of sweep you're going to have on the bottom. I, I mean, there, there are... There are different ways you can do things. We've preferred when we're going with a ripper to have more of a straight point, uh, or I should say a a straight shank, more straight up and down rather than a C-type shank that's going to roll that ground more. All I'm trying to do is lift the soil a little bit, penetrate it so I can get through any compaction layers there, and then just for the most part, leave everything intact. And so we'll have a narrow point and more of a straight shank. That's kind of what I prefer. Now, it it all depends on whatever you like, I guess, and whatever you think is best for you. So, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. And in terms of how you smooth that out afterwards, what have we done? Um, We have typically gone out just like you with a disc. Now, if it's, let's say, soybeans, then it's a little bit different. We might just go out with a field cultivator or something. But yeah, there are a lot of different tillage tools. I can't tell you for sure what's going to be best, but I will say you're not totally destroying what you've done and the benefits of this inline ripping by disking it once or twice. It's just Let's keep in mind when you're disking, you're inline ripping, then you're disking a couple times, you have destroyed a lot of the soil organic 
material, not necessarily organic matter, but even the organic matter, it's going to be hard to build when you're doing that much tillage. So if there's a way you can reduce the tillage a little bit, you know, you might want to consider that, but it all depends on how often you're doing that too, because it sounds like you're also doing strip till out there. So sorry, I don't have any like exact answer for you, but I, what you're doing is kind of similar to what we have done in the past. Because, yeah, if you go out there and inline rip, sometimes, I mean, there's a uh, there, there's a pretty big trench there sometimes. And you may not be able to close that up with, uh, let's say, you're going out with some little simple uh, tillage tool with doing some light tillage. You might have uh, some waviness out in that field when you get done. All right. Uh, next one here is from Ashley. And uh, Ashley says... Uh, let's see, sent us this soil optics thing and uh, uh, said, hey, ask Kellen Huber about his experience. And we really like listening to your show here in Ontario. Uh, Ashley, this is something we've talked about for years now. And, and you sent me pH maps. And yeah, there are some types of machines out there that might be able to give us an idea of pH as we cross the field. Now, I don't know how accurate those are, but I know this. Even I was talking a little bit earlier about the one acre grids we're doing for soil testing. Just imagine if I could have it down to every 100 feet, 50 feet, one foot. If I knew what every foot of soil was for pH, for nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all the micros, just think how amazing that would be. Just think how accurate we all could be as farmers applying the right nutrients at the right time in the right place it'd be fantastic so we're certainly hoping that more of this kind of technology continues and it just gets better and eventually we have everything available to us in terms of all those soil test reports it would be incredible all right, uh, let's see. The next one here is from Jimmy. He says, hi, I'm researching harvesting grain corn and silage to produce ethanol and DDGs. Which was the best to harvest, grain corn or silage? Um, okay, so I, I, I think I understand your question here, Jimmy. And if we're talking about producing ethanol and if we're looking at corn and rather than calling it silage, stover, uh, one of my good friends actually worked on this for years and was one of the lead experts in that industry before he got out of that and went on to doing something else. But anyway, it's just been, it, we're to the point like producing ethanol with corn, it's amazing. And it, I, I know there are some naysayers with that whole thing, but it's incredible. It makes money for the ethanol plant, makes money for the farmer. It's great for the environment. Everything's awesome. Trying to produce ethanol out of Stover today, it's just not economically feasible. And it, will it get there eventually? Maybe. But with corn, we've got so many advantages and it's worked out quite well. So corn has been the best way to go at this point. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She's producing the show, running the controls for us today. Uh, thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions. Thanks to everybody who called in earlier in the show as well. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.